I'm not going to run over my time tonight, I promise you that, but it will take two minutes to do something that I haven't combined with Brian, and that's just to give you a really quick update on a missionary trip that I was involved in, along with Agnes during the summer. We were part of the Irish Baptist Missions team to Peru. I was, uh, I think Mervyn there gave me the title of the chaplain, <laughs> so he did, but my role was to, to bring daily devotions each day, to preach in the churches along with Davy Ellison there of the Irish Baptist College. And uh, well, in that two-week period, I think there was some 15 or more messages that had to be preached. You think that was bad? Poor Desi Creelman had to translate them all into Spanish. Well, we had a blessed time. If you pray for Peru, I want you to be encouraged tonight. What I saw out in Peru reminded me really of Brazil and my days in Brazil and my connection with the Acre Gospel Mission there, evidences of real spiritual growth, evidences of real spiritual depth in the churches that we went around. It was just a blessing. And I think the team went out thinking what we would give, let me tell you now, we received far, far more in the form of spiritual blessing than we believe we ever give out. But just a couple of incidents of what's going on there in Peru and Tacna, for I know you do pray for the work out there. In Tacna, there's a pastor, Elisario, and Elisario there would head up the work in a church, Pan de Vida. Pan means bread of life. That's what the name of the church means. And he church plants every year a church. And I said to myself, how, how do you do it, brother? I said, that's some going over this last few years. Every year, at least one church planted. And he says, Billy, every year, I pray to the Lord to reveal to me five men out of my church who are already in leadership. The Lord prepares them. I preach. They learn. They develop. They get involved. And then the church sends them out. I said, does that not leave a massive gap in your leadership? He says, Billy, as I'm faithful to the Lord, the Lord's faithful to us. And they're seeing churches planted in different parts of Tacna. They're now seeing missionaries go out beyond Tacna. We were up in the mountains, up in the Andes Mountains, at a place called Caromas. Again, those who pray for Peru, you'll know of that. Well, whenever we were there, Pastor Henry, who looks after that work, uh, our church, uh, some members there, give some finance to buy him a wee scrambler motorbike. And to go on up, nuts amongst the Amara Indians. Very, very different culture. One country, what a different culture. And there you're up in high altitude, you could hardly get a breath. And I remember having to do an open air, and I could hardly breathe, never mind preach, etc. Uh, and the Lord undertook, uh, Desi gave me a wee, a wee tablet, and he says, here, take this and don't ask what it is. And I, don't, I haven't asked him to this day, but all I know my eyes, woof, went up like that. And I was full of energy, so I was. And we'll just leave it there. But the, the gospel was preached, that was the first evangelistic meeting that there ever was in that time. Praise the Lord now, there's a nucleus of believers there and the first two new converts will be baptized next Sunday night. And so Pastor Henry now has two small congregations, Karumas and then about 15-20 minutes away, Sakaya, which is uh, uh, an Indian name so it is, way, way up 15,000 feet in the Andy Mountains. Wonderful, wonderful to see God's grace 
working in life. So be encouraged, those who pay for Peru. And look, one thing I will say about all the churches that I visited in, that I preached in, along with others, they're conservative. Really conservative churches. Ones that you and I could identify with. So please continue to pray for that ministry. And if anyone wants to know how to eat guinea pig, well, you can ask me at the door going out so you can. Um, it's either a yes or no, so <laughs> I'll let you know if you want to know that. But look, friends, let's turn to God's word. The Lord's placed a text on my heart. I used this text, I have to say, recently in my own church, but I've changed the message, so I have. And he's laid it upon my heart, and it's from Mark's Gospel and chapter 15. And we're going to begin our reading uh, at verse 6. So I'm taking you there to Jerusalem. I'm taking you to the Passover. And the Lord Jesus has been arrested. And he's now before Pontius Pilate. And indeed the crowd, the multitude in Jerusalem. So uh, sorry, it's Mark, Mark 15. Mark 15, I think I said Matthew, Mark 15. I don't know, I'm well nervous here today. This morning I was miscuing as well, so I was maybe need the glasses changed. But it's Mark 15, reading from verse 6. The word of the Lord says, Now at that feast, talking about the Passover, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him, or Jesus, for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And we conclude our reading there at verse 15. I'm not sure what you were doing whenever it was Coronation Day. That was May the 6th of this year, when King Charles III there had his coronation service in Westminster Abbey over in London. I was at Buchan, or I was at Hillsborough Castle, so I was to watch that along with many others. And later on in the summer, there was a brother was at Dunseverick, the chance to go to London, and we were at Buckingham Palace. And don't worry, I wasn't there to get any rewards. <laughs> I was just there to visit during the summer. It's open whenever the royal family are not in residence. But you know something that I was very aware of, as I think we all were, and more surprisingly, over in England. There are those who are not fans of the monarchy. Some for political reasons. Some for personal reasons. And I remember at the time of the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla, 
that there was a small but very vocal group all over England. And they held up placards aloft and shouted this, Not my king. Not my king. Do you remember it? Friends, they made it clear that their allegiance was not to King Charles. And they used the freedoms that they have here within the United Kingdom of freedom of speech to make their feelings clear. I want to use that expression as the title of my message tonight. Not my king. Not my king. Because we read from Mark's gospel, and you'll find in Matthew that precedes it, and Luke and John's gospel that follow on, this text is recorded in all of the gospels. And there was that cry from the crowd. They used the words, crucify him, crucify him. But otherwise they were saying, not my king, not my king. Friends, those who were assembled in London, particularly those who were in Westminster Abbey at Charles's coronation, were there by invitation only. They were guests. Those who were present at the crucifixion of the Lord, and remember, he would be crowned with a crown of thorns at his coronation in that sense. They were at best inquisitive gazers on as they would watch the events of that day unfold. I want to think particularly of a man that is mentioned in this text. There's a few of them. The situation of Barabbas. Because his situation that morn was precarious, to say the least. If you don't know what that means, it means there he was in real danger. And the gospel records a few things about this man. That simply we can put it, he was a criminal. It says there, and there was one named Barabbas in verse 7, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Friends, in the sense that he was a criminal, he was a violent man, motivated by political, probably rather than personal gain. He sought on all occasions and by any means at his disposal, not just to undermine, but to overthrow the Roman authority in Jerusalem. Today, he would either be condemned as a terrorist, or as we see in this conflict between Israel and Palestine, hailed as a freedom resistance fighter. Either way, we find that he justified himself in the killing of someone, either a Roman official or a Roman officer, and now he stood trial for his life. He was now going to appear before the judgment seat. Remember, keeping the alliteration, there there's Gethsemane. Remember there, the Lord, how he surrendered his life Unto the heavenly father. And he says Lord if it be thy will take this cup. What was the cup? It was the cup 
of wrath. It was the cup of suffering that God had purposed for him. And he had to drink it in its entirety. And he says, Lord, if it be thy will. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There was surrender. Friends, at the place called then Gabatha, and that's where we're brought to now, Gethsemane Surrender. It's a place of sentence. It's a place where Jesus was brought by the chief priests, and they accused him of many things. And their pilot had to make a decision. He would be the ultimate one who would pass sentence. Oh, we'll see in this how he would wash his hands of it. At least he thought. But ultimately, only he could sign the death warrant of anyone. And it was the place of sentence. And in that final, keeping the alliteration, Gethsemane, Gabatha, you read of that word Gabatha, the place of the skull, the skull then we read of, which then is Golgotha. And that's the place of sacrifice where Jesus was crucified there upon the cross and died to save you and to save me. Friends, when we think of this man who now stood trial for his life, there he was at the judgment seat. Do you realize that we have something in common with Barabbas? Absolutely. No way, Pastor. I've never touched the hair in the head of anyone. It tells us there, this man, what a notorious, and Matthew's gospel calls him or refers to him as a notorious prisoner there. And it says there that he had committed murder in the insurrection. I've never done such a thing, Pastor. How dare you? Friends, I'm not talking about what he'd done in his life. I'm talking about where he stood on that day. And he stood before a judgment seat. And do you realize the Bible tells us that everyone gathered in here this evening, those who will listen on via the social media or the internet, that we all will stand before a judgment seat of God one day. Do you realize that? The Bible talks about two judgment seats of God. It reminds us in Hebrews 9 and 27, and it is appointed unto man once to die, so no reincarnation, that's gone, that doesn't happen. But after this, the judgment. And we often use this in terms there of just a gospel application and one of the judgments. But friends, it can refer to either or. What are these judgments then, pastor? The first of the judgments in the New Testament that you read about, and they're still future for you and I, is found in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, Romans 14 and verse 10. They all speak about the same judgment seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it says, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that have done, whether it be good or bad. Pastor, what's that about? The word for judgment seat, there's an interesting one in the Greek. Up in our area, Dunsavrik, they speak Ulster Scots. I had to learn another language when I went up there. But this is Greek. And the Greek word means bima. And what that refers to, if you can imagine there, in Paul's day, when Paul was writing these great epistles, there were well-known athletics events, sporting events. 
And they would have had the athletics track. You'll see it next year in Paris in the Olympics. And above that would have sat a seat and there would have been a judge or an umpire we might call them today. And there he would have viewed all that was going on below. And there he would have reviewed the action and then rewarded the athletes who took part. And in that sense, this judgment seat, I tell you now, this is the one that you want to be standing before. Why? It is exclusively set aside for those who are believers. Those who are the saints of God. And there what will be judged is not your sin. Because our sin has been dealt with at Calvary. It's under the blood of the Lamb. But rather what will be judged there will be our service. That's why it's important that when we are saved, we should be serving. And can I encourage those who later on tonight there will be uh, taking responsibility for the youth meeting? Do it with a whole heart. Do we ever get everything right? No, we don't. But look... If we're doing it for the Lord and that's our motivation, the Lord will undertake and he will bless and he will prosper that ministry. There's a work for Jesus only you can do. Whatever that is, put your hand to it. Get involved in it here in the church, there and then beyond into community and countries. Friends, that judgment seat is not to judge our sin, but our service. Friends, there's not condemnation there, but crowns. There's another sermon, the five crowns that you can be rewarded with at that judgment seat of Christ. However, it's not the only judgment seat that's mentioned in the New Testament. Right at the end, in the last book of the Bible, called the book of Revelation, there we read of another judgment seat. And it's found in Revelation 20, verses 11 through to 15. Friend, it is known as the great white judgment seat. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. And the books were opened, and another book was opened. Friends, that book is known as the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. This is a different time. This is a different judgment. This is for a different people. Now you do not have believers there. No one who's saved will stand before this judgment seat. Rather, it is those who are unsaved. Friends, at first, that bima, as it's called, it was for reward. This is where God will meet out his justice, his wrath, and his retribution upon a world that has denied the Lord, that has rejected the Lord. Because it tells us that all those whose names were not written in the book of life shall be cast. You can imagine a fisherman at the side there of the bank of a river casting his line. The same idea, cast into the lake of fire. Can I say this to you? Make sure you are at the right judgment seat. Well, Pastor, how can I do that? 
Well, you can do that tonight. And you can do that tonight with the realization that your sin will condemn you. But pastor, unlike Barabbas, thankfully have never murdered, have never stolen. Yet does the scripture not tell us something about our nature? It tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And just one sin is enough to take you down, down, down. But friends, just one Savior is enough to lift you up, up, up. And that's the Lord Jesus tonight. Friends, we see the situation of this man called Barabbas. It was precarious. He stood trial that day. And I firmly believe when he awoke, he thought, sure, knowing that he was a criminal, that he would be condemned. Friends, we want then to see this sentence upon Barabbas. And remember our title of the message tonight is Not My King. Friends, we read here of another man that was caught up in this scene and this sentence, and that was the governor known as Pontius Pilate. We read of him in verse 9. But Pilate answering them, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him, that's the Lord Jesus, for envy. And the chief priests moved the people that they should rather release Barabbas unto them. Friends, this man had a real difficulty. He was the governor there in Jerusalem, in Judea. And he wanted to keep the peace, the peace in the city. He wanted to pacify the crowd. It was Passover. It already was a tense time. And friends, he had a difficulty because uproar was about to be made. Then his difficulty led to a decision. Friends, he says to the crowd in verse 12, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? Here was his plan. He thought, I'll find a way out. I'll let the public decide. Do you ever watch any of those programs there, Acts Factor type thing? And there's a public vote, so there is, and the public can give their opinion there. Well, that's what Pilate done. He knew all about it long before Simon Cowell. And friends, there he puts it out to public vote, thinking he'll get himself off the horns of a dilemma. And other scriptures, when he introduced Jesus, and you can imagine the scene, the mass of people there, and them on some sort of a raised platform at that place called Gabbatha. And he says there, behold the man. And he says, surely, surely, the Jews will, will vote in favor of Jesus and will condemn Barabbas. Who is Barabbas? Barabbas is a murderer. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, he had a decision to make. Difficulty, a decision. I tell you more than that, he had a dilemma on his hands. I had a dilemma on his hands, Pastor. What we don't read in Mark's Gospel, we do read in Matthew again, is that he received at that very moment a wee love letter. Did you ever receive a love letter? 
They'll be taking you back a few years, etc. Now, of course, the social media there, you post it in social media. But I can remember back to those days when I was a wee cub there, and especially Valentine's and one thing or another. And you got that, and you either, if you're a fellow, normally you wrote it so you did to the passion of your heart. And, and he received a wee love letter from his wee wife. We just know she's Mrs. Pilot. Don't know her name. And there she's in bed sleeping when all this is going on. And suddenly she's awakened out of her sleep. Does that ever happen to you? And you just can't get the peace and you just can't get back to sleep there. Uh, and it was my, my wife's not here tonight, so I can say this. She was saying, why are you twisting and turning there? You're waking me up. Well, she was on her own. Pilot Arati was at, the, at his work. And the Lord speaks to her. And in a dream, the Lord makes it very clear. You give your husband a warning. He is not to touch. Have thou nothing to do with this just man. And he's just about to pass sentence. You can imagine the sequence of events. And suddenly someone from his home or from his office comes and says, here's a wee letter from your wife. You better read it. The wee thing in that there, she said, make sure that he reads that before he passes sentence. And there he opens it and folds it there and there it's before him. He's in a real dilemma now, a real pickle, we would say. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? You see, it's a question that needs to be addressed. It needed to be addressed by Pilate. It needs to be addressed by you tonight. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Because there's only one of two things that you can do. You can either reject him, or you can receive him. One or the other. Pilate thought that somewhere in between there was a fence that he could sit on, but he only fooled himself. That fence never existed then and doesn't exist today. Because either way, you will make a decision whenever you leave this church meeting and building tonight. But friends, you know something? I'm thinking there of a question that must be answered. It must be addressed Here's another question in the Bible. And I would like someone to tell me the answer to this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You ever thought that? Some tremendous questions. That's not my sermon tonight. And I don't want to get off beam as it were. But friends, those are two. If you don't remember anything else about me, you don't remember anything else about this message. Remember those two questions. What shall I do then with Jesus which is called the Christ? You must address it. And then try to answer the other one. How shall we, how shall I escape if I neglect so great a salvation? That's Hebrews 2 and verse 3. Friends, the dilemma, the ladder was there. And he had to make a declaration. And it was based upon the crowd. Because the crowd were motivated there by the priests who had envy and hatred and bitterness towards the Lord. And they already, it was a fixed vote, we would say, cried out, crucify him, in verse 13. And he said, why, what has he done? And the more he spoke, the more they raised their voices there, crucify him, crucify him. Friends, his declaration then was simply this. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. Isn't it interesting? What is deterring you from coming to Christ tonight? 
We read here what happened to Pilate. He wanted to content the crowd. It was the crowd that put him off. I wonder tonight, is there someone here? And the Lord has spoken once. The Lord has spoken twice. Has maybe spoken in various times. Maybe a boy or girl. Maybe a teen. Maybe you, sir. Maybe you, madam. And the Lord's been speaking to your heart. And like Pilate there, you're afraid of the crowd. What they'll say. What they'll do. And you let them impact you. And you let them influence you. I tell you, the crowd will never take you into the kingdom of heaven. The crowd will never see that you get saved. It'll make sure of anything that you don't. Pilate condemned the Lord and released Barabbas. Just returning to Barabbas, it's interesting in all of this and in all the Gospels, Barabbas never speaks a word. Do you ever notice that? Not a word. He stood there. I don't know he was on the right and the left-hand side of Pilate there. And he doesn't know what's going on, that the priests are there amongst the crowd. He's expecting that day. That he is going to die. And suddenly he's released. He's free. A condemned man is free to go. The tragedy for him is that having been released and Jesus having taken his place on the middle cross, that middle cross was earmarked for Barabbas. That's why I believe hurriedly Pilate said, right, you better put on that plaque above him there that he's the king of the Jews. That was done in haste because they probably had another plaque made up for Barabbas already and they had to do away with that and get a new one for the Lord Jesus. Jesus become his substitute. He took his place. He took his punishment. He took the penalty of death. And yet... In response, we never read that Barabbas turned from his sin or trusted in the Savior. How close could he not have been to Jesus that day? Literally a breath away. Realizing what Jesus had done was for him. Convicted, condemned, yes. Terrible man, yes. But Jesus could have saved him. Can I say as I conclude... Jesus can save you, irrespective of background, irrespective of behavior, irrespective of belief, irrespective of beauty, anything. We were singing that hymn about the whosoever. That can be you. Jesus can save to the uttermost all those who come to God by him tonight. May he give you deciding grace. You see, what the crowd shouted was this, Not my king! Pilate maybe wasn't shouting it in those terms, but by his actions he was saying, Not my king. Barabbas, who was released, slipped away silently, not to be heard of again. Not my king. I hope and pray tonight 
that there's no one in this gathering. And when you leave in a moment or two, you along with them say, not my king. Because one day you will meet him. And you'll either meet him as Lord and Savior of your life. Or you'll meet him as judge. It's your choice. You have a choice in that matter. You make sure now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. It's not next week. And come back and say, well, I enjoyed that meeting there this evening. And I'll be back next week. You can't guarantee two things. And that's the danger we're in. It lies to say, well, I'll come back again. One, you don't know if God's spirit will speak to you. For the Lord said in Noah's day, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And two, our papers, our social media tell you, you just listen to it there, deaths regularly, you read the obituary page, in different ways, in different ages, tragedy happens. You can't guarantee you'll be here next week. So while you have the opportunity now, I press upon you, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Do it now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, and a solemn word it was and is. And I pray that if there's someone here tonight, and Lord, up until this point in their life, they have cried out with the mob, not my king, that tonight they will repent of their sins, turn from them, Seek Christ to save them and declare Jesus as Lord of Lord and King of Kings of their life. Lord, I pray, give deciding grace. Save before anyone would go home in a lost estate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, I would just like to say, if you want to talk to me afterwards or talk to another Christian that you would know here in the church, please do so. If you have been exercised about your salvation, I'm going to sing our final hymn, So We Are. And it's up on the screen there. It's 193 in the hymn book if you're using it. Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn.